Well, good morning, Sunrise. Hello. Welcome to church. Welcome to Sunday. My name is Jeff, filling in for Dan. And uh, we're going to sing some songs today. It looks a little empty up here, you might be aware. So we're kind of doing things stripped down a little bit, which means songs might sound a little different, but it also means that you need to sing nice and loud to make up for like missing electric guitars and drums. Do you have any idea how loud those things are? Good grief. So we're going to need you to step it up as we will as well. So this morning there was a a bit of a feeling, a tenor in our uh, prayer this morning that we're all feeling a little worn out. I don't know if you can relate to that, but You know, there are seasons in life where it seems like things just never stop. Like we're just constantly going or putting out fires or solving problems and all these things. And uh, this morning, you know, before I left, I fell into bed with my wife and gave her a kiss. And she's like, I know that you are depleted. And, uh, sorry. She said, you're going to do great. God put you here today and I know it's hard to pour from an empty cup that's the word she said and um, she's right it is when we feel like we have nothing to give it's very hard to be giving very hard to be Christ-like and loving when we're like what about me (laughs) and so this morning I just want this worship set this service today to be a prayer of renewal to fill us with the love of God that is always there, but sometimes we forget that it's there. So we're going to sing this first song, which is apropos to remembering that God is with us. So I ask you to stand with us as we worship him this morning.
There's no other name but the name that is Jesus. He who was and still is and will be through it all. So when came the space between all the things unseen and this reckoning, I know I will never be Show me love by leaving your 
we're going to sing shout it out and that's when you're going to release it dear lord hear our prayers this morning that we lift up to you take away the hurt and the things that are keeping us from you god we love you so much sing this out. the children's ministry director and ministry assistant here. Um, we want to give a special welcome to anyone who is new to Sunrise or newer. We would love to meet you. If you're here with us, you can head to the connect table in the back of the lobby after the service and you'll get a gift. And if you're visiting with us online, then you can head to our website on the announcement page. There's a little form to fill out and we will also send you a gift. Um, this fall we're doing a lot with prayer and one of those things is we would love for everyone to be a part of a small group that's focusing on prayer for early october to mid-december 
October is next week, so this is the last week to sign up. Um, there's tables at the back of the sanctuary that you can sign up for a group if you haven't already. Um, as well as that, we would love to be a church that prays for each other. So we're going to have a special, um, I, I wanted to call it prayer pals because I like alliterations. Um, in the back of the lobby, you'll see there's a table with a bunch of papers that have um, prayers for each age group of Sunrise Kids. I would love if everyone could grab one of those and just choose an age group to pray for this year. And there's backpack tags for all of the kids to grab that remind them that they are loved and they're being prayed for by their church. Um, as well as partnering with us in prayer, you can partner with us financially either on our website or app or we have those beautiful boxes at the front of the uh, lobby or the back of the sanctuary that you could drop off gifts. So now we're going to go to a time of greeting and get coffee um, and the kids can go to their rooms. Thank you. Everyone, if you could make your way back to your seats, we will jump into the message here. So today we enter week three of our prayer series, and we're wrapping up our time in John chapter 17, the real Lord's Prayer, and we're going to be looking at this last movement. So in the first five verses of chapter 17, we saw a couple weeks ago that, that Jesus prays for himself, and that we saw that praying for yourself isn't necessarily selfish prayers, but are prayers that help us align who we are and what we're doing with the will of God. And so maybe the takeaway from two weeks ago was be like Jesus, pray for yourself. Last week, we looked at verses 16 through 19, and we saw that Jesus prayed for his disciples. And in this prayer, he demonstrated the heart of God for those who carry on his message and represent his rule and reign in the time and space in which they lived. And we saw in, in that movement um, that Jesus prayed for his disciples that they would know who they really are, that they would come to to recline in the identity that he has for them, that they would find joy in the midst of trouble because the, the reality is, is that in this world we will have trouble. He prayed that they would cherish the gift of the gospel, that they would, would be protected and not removed, that the way of Jesus isn't a way that seeks to escape the world, but the way of Jesus is one that impacts impacts the world in which we live. And he prayed that they would carry on Christ's incarnational work in the world, that they would be Christ's representatives in the world in which they lived. In chapter 17, verses 20 through 26 is where we're going to dive into today. Jesus turns his attention from his present followers and begins to pray for those disciples who would follow him in the future. Jesus, my friends, prays for us. All right, in John chapter 17, uh, beginning at verse 20, uh, we see that Jesus begins this prayer for his future disciples. And folks, what I want you to grapple with is that this is the only time in recorded scripture that Jesus himself sp prays specifically for you and me. Jesus 
prays for us. And this is what he has to say. If you have your Bibles, you can turn in John chapter 17, beginning in verse 20. And he says this, my prayer is not for them alone. It's not just for the disciples. You see in this previous section, he's been praying for the people that he can, he can see and that he can touch, that, that, are, that can interact with him. But, but he then moves on and says that he is praying for people apart from those who actually are interacting with him. My prayer is not for them alone. In Jesus' prayer for the disciples, something I think is really interesting that that we're going to contrast here in his prayer for, for us is that Jesus makes a specific proclamation in his previous prayer that I'm not praying for the world, I'm praying for my disciples. But Jesus doesn't do that when he prays for us. We'll get there in just a second. I'm not praying for them alone. Alone, I'm also praying for those who will believe in me through their message. Here, Jesus turns his attention to the individuals to whom, now get this, John is actually writing. John writes his gospel account years after this interaction with Jesus, years after he heard this being prayed. And I wonder if as John was putting pen to paper in this very moment where he was thinking, Jesus, I'm, I'm becoming the, the yes to the prayer that you prayed. You see, he, he turns his attention, Jesus does, to those who would be his future disciples, of those who would follow his disciples in the faith. It, it makes me think about the confession that Peter made when Jesus asked him, right, days before this event, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they rehearsed what they heard people saying. Well, some say this prophet or some say that prophet or some say the reincarnation of of this person or that person. But then Jesus makes it very personal and he says, who do all y'all say that I am? And Peter, Peter with, with, with the boldness that only Simon, the son of John, can muster, says, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus makes this proclamation. He said, he said something and that I think is very, very important for us to understand as we engage with this particular passage, is that he said, Peter, that wasn't revealed to you because you're extra smart. That wasn't revealed to you because you've had a good human teacher. That, that wasn't revealed to you by any sort of earthly revelation, but that has come to you because the Father has given that to you. In, in that passage, Jesus does something very interesting. As he, he points out and he calls out Peter from among the rest, right? This, the sort of the specially called from the specially called. And he, he says that this confession... This confession, there's, there's something special about that. The fact that I am the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, the reality is Peter doesn't know exactly what that means. He has a, a faulty conception of actually what that is going to look like. But, but Jesus calls out the, the truth. And it, and it reminds me, this particular prayer, it reminds me that those two things, sort of this, this confession that goes forward, it does not go forward without the we of the church. The we of God's people. It, it reminds me, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. It reminds me that so often in a world that is focused on me that the church has always been called to be a community of the we. 
Jesus here is praying for the confessors, those who would confess as Peter confessed. But not just for the confessors. He is praying for the confession that will change lives as it goes forward from those who follow him. It's a not-so-subtle hint to those who heard this prayer that those who, were, uh, those who were reading John's account that the church is bigger than any individual person, right? It was, it was built on this confession that Peter made, but it was much bigger than Peter. It was much bigger than the disciples. It was much bigger than the three. It was much bigger than the 120, right? That it's going to go forward and that no matter how gifted or anointed the person is that is communicating the confession it's the confession it's the presence of God it's the person of Jesus that changes things it's it's bigger in fact than any group no matter how special or particular they're calling that it's bigger than the generations of believers or particular iterations of the church Jesus's prayer in its beginnings indicates that it indicates some things that sometimes, my friends, I forget. This is going to come as a shock to you. That it's not about me. <laughs> that the world doesn't exist for my convenience. It's not about me that it doesn't... In a real sense, right, God is, God is pleased to use me. He longs to use me. But it's not about my gifts or my abilities or my hard work. It's much, much bigger than that. It reminds me that I, that we are part of a much larger community. A we that stretches back eons and eons through time and space and history. But also, if the Lord tarries in his return, that will stretch forward as well that when I'm gone the church will be here that when we have said our last goodbyes that the church of Jesus Christ will be here you see Jesus prays for us but what does he pray what is the contents of this prayer well the first thing we see is that Jesus and probably one of the primary things is that he prays for unity Jesus prays that all of them may be one, right? There's a little bit of unique phrasing that's going on here, but it, but it rings true to what he prayed for his first disciples. He prays that, that we may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. And this is direct correlation between what Jesus prayed for his disciples, right? That there's something about this new birth DNA that he gave to his disciples that they will give to those who follow after. After them, that when you're born from above, right? John 3 16, 3 through 7, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, the teacher of teachers of Israel, right? He talks about this idea of the divine the divine birth. And Nicodemus really doesn't understand what he's talking about, but Jesus is talking about an internal, an eternal inheritance that we get from the Father when we are born again. The presence of the Holy Spirit that is not just with us and among us, but in us. Father, just as you are in me and I am in them, may they also be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. More on this here in just a second. I have given them the glory that you gave me. The glory that passes 
through new birth in Christ, the way the image of God passes through physical birth, that they may be one as we are one, a unity there again, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity, right? That they may be one, that they may be one as we are one, that they may be in us as we are in each other, that they will be brought to complete unity. You see, what's Jesus really praying for here? He's praying that we would know who we really are. He would pray that we would know our truer and deeper identity. You see, folks, when it really comes down to it, what are the things that we fight over most often? Right? We, we, we fight over lesser than ideologies. We fight over, um, we fight over squiggly lines in the ground that tell us what property belongs to what earthly tribe We fight over things that for the followers of Jesus ought to be lesser than identities. And Jesus prays for complete unity and then he makes this proclamation, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Jesus prays for unity that we would be one, but he also prays that we would live in accordance to his purpose, that the unity serves a higher purpose so that the world may believe that you sent me. You see, this this thing calls back to something John tells us again earlier in the gospel. It calls back to the Johannine apologetic. Those are some really fancy theological words. Basically, this is what John is saying. He said it gets back to the fact that they'll know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. That we don't argue people into the kingdom. That we don't beat them over the head or... Right? Coerce them with pointy hot sticks to come to Jesus. Right? But the best apologetic that we have, the, the, the best witnessing tool that we have, is that we love people so well that they're exasperated by our love and they look at us and they say, Why are you loving me this way? See, we love people until they ask us why. Can I tell you something? It's much more effective to love people. And then have them say, why do you love me like that? And then say, well, there's this guy named Jesus. Then to take a folding chair, right? I'm a big pro wrestling guy, right, from way back, (laughs) right? To take a folding chair and to hit him over the head, right? The folding chair says Jesus on it. You hit him like that? No, no, no. Boy, if we can love people well so that they'll ask us why, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And here's this subtle difference, right? Jesus says when he's praying for his disciples, I'm praying for them and not the world. But it becomes clear as Jesus is praying for us that he's also praying for those who aren't even a part of the family yet. Let's never forget the truth that Jesus shared with the teacher of teachers, Nicodemus, right? After that conversation about being born from above, what does Nicodemus say? He doesn't get it, doesn't understand it. What does it mean? He, folks, the, the Greek there is really interesting because I, 
Being born again and being born from above are identical. They read identical in in, in the Greek text. And and here's something that we we don't often, I I think, get, is that Nicodemus misunderstood Jesus from the beginning. Jesus was never talking about being born again. He was always talking about being born from above. Nicodemus said, how can this be that a man, Jesus is like, no, you're missing the point. I'm talking about this, not reentering your mother's womb. And after that is settled, this is what it means to be born from above. Jesus goes on and he explains this to Nicodemus in the most famous verse in the history of the scriptures, right? The the one that starts, for God so loved the world. A a better way to translate that beginning, and I, I kid you not, you guys, this is... I think that modern translations continue to translate it that way because everybody knows it that way. But literally the text should probably say God loved the world in this way. It wasn't just simply, oh, God loved the world so much. No, no, no. Jesus was looking at Nicodemus and he's looking him in the eye and he was saying, Nicodemus, God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish or come to ruin but have everlasting life. Let's never forget the truth that Jesus shared with his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Jesus has been clear from the very beginning about how this witnessing thing works. Is we love people until they ask us why. And then we tell them. We tell them who he is and what he has done. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me. That they may be one as we are one. And I and them and you and me, right? Again, reiterating what we just said just a couple minutes ago. So that they might be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me then the world will know. He prays for us, but he also prays for the folks that we will tell. The world will know that you have sent me and get this and have loved them. Folks, I spent way too much time this week noodling through because here's the thing. We, who's the them in this passage? So that the world will know that God has loved the church? Or so that the world will know that God has loved the world? And here's, here, here's, here's the, the, the life-changing conclusion that I've come to. The grammar is not clear. And we interpret this theologically all the time. Those of us who come from the more Calvinistic perspective, right? We're like, look at this. Oh, yeah. But so that the world would know that God has loved us. <laughs> but 
I'm not sure that fits with the, with, with the context of Jesus' prayer. I, I, I wonder, folks, I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to think, even, even though the grammar, the, the grammar isn't clear, that the Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to do this because this is your mission and this is your purpose to incarnate exactly what I've been doing, exactly what the disciples will be doing. I pray for the people that will come after me so that the world will know that you, Father, sent me and that I have loved the world, that there is not anyone walking around on this planet that is outside of the love of God. Even as you have loved me, Jesus says. Jesus' love for the world, my friends, I have come to believe is simply as extravagant as God's love for Jesus. And I think this is what he was trying to tell the teacher of teachers. I think this is what he continues to try to tell me. So it's awfully easy for me to to embrace the fact that God loves me because let's just be honest, I'm great. (laughs) But what about the people that provoke me? What about the people that I don't care for? Right, Joe, what about that dirty, rotten Lou Holtz who ruined my childhood in 1988 when those stinking fighting Irish beat my Mountaineers in the national championship game? who ran his mouth this week, right? God loves Lou Holtz. (laughs) He does. You see, we see this when Jesus, he weeps over Jerusalem. We, we see it when, when, when Jesus longs for the religious leaders. We, we see this when Jesus prays for the, the soldiers to hang to the cross. We see this when Jesus looks at the criminal who was guilty as sin hanging beside him. Praise that weak prayer of faith. Jesus prays. Jesus prays that we would experience and extend the love that is found in his presence. My friends, Father, I want, the, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. There's a longing for relational closeness and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. There's a longing in Jesus in this prayer that the finite creation would experience eternity. Jesus longs Not just that we would experience eternity, but that we would experience it with him. Righteous Father, though the world doesn't know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. Again, this is an oddity in in the prayer that, that Jesus seems to be saying they know because I've told them they may just not believe it. But friends, this is our calling. This is the prayer, is to continue to tell the world around us the truth of the fact that Jesus has come. Verse 26, I've made you known and I will continue to make you known. Jesus has made him known when he was a child in the temple. When he was a wedding guest who turned water into wine. When he was a traveling preacher who taught like no one had ever taught before. When he had done miracles. When he 
when he spoke to the Samaritan woman who became an evangelist to the unwanted and the unloved. He continued to make the love of the Father known through his journey to the cross, through his resurrection, through the witness of his disciples when they told his story, when they did what they saw him doing as John was writing down this account to the church and through the witness of those who would read and hear and believe in Jesus and through us. He continues to make the Father known through us. Why? In order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I may be in them. The presence of God abiding in his saints. The presence of God flowing out of his saints as our lives manifest his love for the world. This, my friends, is how the name is revealed. Jesus prays for us. He prays that we would be one. He prays that we would live with purpose. He, he prays that we would rest in him. He prays that we would shine his light and share his love with the world. Here's the interesting thing about this sermon for me. Is that I was working through it this week and I was, I was putting this together and, and writing things down. I was struck by the fact, this is one of the last things that I, that I, that I wrote this week. There is nothing new in this sermon. <laughs> My friends, if you have been a part of a believing community for 15 minutes... I have likely given you no new information this morning. Right? No new insight. Really no new challenge. No innovative line of thinking. No novel theological approach. Just four simple truths about God's will for you and me. that we'd be one. That we would be one. Complete unity. That we'd live with purpose. That we would rest and find our hope in him. Because he longs for eternity with us that would shine his light and share his love because there are still lost sheep, wayward children in this world. Simple truths that we already know. We already know, but if you're like me, we still need reminded of. We need to be reminded that the way of the kingdom is to set aside petty differences. Yeah, Dennis, but what's a petty difference? 
Everything that's not Jesus, my friends, is a petty difference. To be reminded why I'm still here. Why you're still here. To be salt and to be light. To share the love of God. To be reminded that being on a mission is more about resting in Him than it is about running after accomplishments. That He is pleased to use me, my friends. He longs to use me. But He doesn't need me. Because I'm His kid. I'm his son. It's a reminder that when I choose to say yes, that when I choose to say yes to a few things in this, in this life, when I choose to say yes to contending for and protecting the unity of the body of Christ, that when I choose to say yes to resting in him rather than striving for my own accomplishments, that when I choose to say yes to extending his love to others that through my actions don't miss this the father says yes to the prayer Jesus prayed for his church so be the yes Be the yes to Jesus' prayer. As the worship team comes to, to get our final song. Folks, as this next election cycle ramps up and, and comes upon us, be the yes to Jesus' prayer. As things become more polarized in the culture that surrounds us, be the yes to Jesus' prayer. As rhetoric in the culture intensifies and as people on opposing sides of ideological arguments choose to demonize each other, be the yes to Jesus' prayer. When people that we know and love or people that are simply in our orbits or in our lives do things that provoke or offend us, be the yes to Jesus' prayer. When the stressors of life form a pressure cooker around us so much that our emotions are raw and they live just under the surface, be the yes to Jesus' prayer. When the little girl hands us the wrong sandwich out the window of McDonald's, be the yes to Jesus' prayer. When you, when I, feel marginalized or offended or overlooked or even sinned against when we feel invisible when we feel like no one sees us be the yes to Jesus' prayer
Because if we get nothing else out of these six verses, remember this. When others overlook you, he sees you. And this prayer proves that. When you feel lost, when you feel uncared for, he sees you. Dennis, how do you know? Because he did. He looked down through the eons of history and he sees us. And he prayed for us. He doesn't just see you, my friend. He loves you. He cares for you. And the last thing he prayed... was that the love you, Father, have for me, Jesus, may be in them. That I myself, that I myself may be in them. Jesus prayed for us, but in this prayer, he gave us a very simple truth to cling to is that he is with us. And my friend, he is with you. Father, we come in this moment. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your power and we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love and your grace. God, we thank you for seeing us. Looking down the long ages. praying for us. Lord, we have to confess that in our own strength, this whole unity thing, we're not going to be able to pull it off. We get too distracted and we get too enamored with lesser than identities and um, Lord, so kind of our only hope is the spirit that lives in us. Our only hope is that we would surrender to you and that your love would shine through us. And so God, we, we pray that you would help us, Lord, to be the answer, to be the answer yes to your prayer. So Father, we love you. We praise you. Lord, we pray that the world might know that God has sent you. Not because of our slick presentations or our sophisticated arguments or our intellectual prowess, Lord, but because we love them.
so well that they can't understand how a human could love that much. So give us the opportunity to tell them. It's not us. It's God who lives in us and works through us. In Jesus. Jesus, thanks for seeing us. Thanks for praying for us. Even now. It's in your name. We say amen.
Jeff asked the question at the very beginning, how do you pour out of an empty cup? Well, the only way to do that is to have the Spirit of God supernaturally filling us up all the time. You see, folks, here's the thing. The, right in this world, you will have trouble. And I gotta, I gotta be honest, I feel like that we, the we of this body, we've experienced our fair share. I mean, I, I'm looking at faces and I'm looking at names and I, and I see the manifestation of the truth of that is that there is trouble. But here's the thing. Your job isn't to do the work, it's to say yes, and he does to work and so the question is are you still here and is it still yes I did a thing on Friday for 30 years God's calling to Isaiah has meant something to me a little bit gross and yucky but when Isaiah encountered the Lord he saw him in his glory and he was undone by his sin and in that account God through the angel comes to Isaiah and he offers him freedom from guilt and cleansing from sin. And then he asked the question, who, who will go for me? And Isaiah makes a statement, and he nishlachni is what he says. <laughs> and it simply means, I'm here. I'm here. Send me. Friends, can I, can I challenge you with that as we go? It's that God doesn't need you to be extravagant. He needs you to be present. He needs you to be you. And the question, the question that he asked is, are you willing? Be the yes. Because as long, as long as we're still here, the answer of worship is yes. Father, I pray for my friends. Pray that they may go in peace. They may find their worth in you. Lord, and that their joy would be rooted not in their circumstances, but in the hope you give. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
go in his peace.